and I went to college, we went to this tiny school out in middle of nowhere, Minnesota, called Crown. Um, we're, we're affiliated with it, so you might have heard of it. But right, my, our last two years there, on my last year as a student, and then there was a year that I had graduated, I was working at a church in the area, and Bella was finishing up her nursing degree. Our last two years there, we lived in this set of apartments called Faith Village. And these apartments were on a hill. And right down the hill from the apartments, less than a five-minute walk was this lake. It's called Lake Parley. Crown has this, um, I'm trying to think of a nice word to say, a nice way to say the word pitiful for the beach that they have there. It's not coming to mind. But they have a, they have a little beach there. And on that beach was this mystery canoe. Um, we were about... I would say 90% sure that it belonged to Crown, but none of us ever checked. There weren't any registration tags on it or anything. And quite often, students would take that canoe out and they'd cruise the lake or they'd go fishing. Oftentimes, I would take that canoe out with one of my buddies and we would just go catch fish on the lake. We had one particular day, however, where we went out and we didn't go to the part of the lakes that we normally went to. We had some spots that we knew, the fish are here, guaranteed catches. We didn't go there. We went to a different part of the lake. We shot through this sketchy channel. I don't think any boat other than a canoe could have made it through this channel. There were cattails growing everywhere. The water was only maybe two feet deep. It was awesome. And on the other side of this channel, the lake opened up again. And back in this little corner of the lake that you had to really go through it to get back into, <clears throat> my friend hooked into the biggest northern pike that I have ever seen in my life. It was pulling the front of our boat around. It was taking drag on his reel. He fought it for what felt like forever, but was probably really only like three or four minutes. And finally, he gets it up to the boat, and we don't have a net, so he's sitting in the front, and he swings his rod around back to me so that I can pull the fish into the boat. And I grab the line, and I pick it up by the line, and I start reaching in to grab the fish's tail and flip it in. And it tosses its head, cuts the line with its teeth, and sinks back into the water. For about five minutes after that, we just sat in silence, let the canoe slowly drift to the side of the lake. We were devastated. Now, I still go fishing with this guy pretty often. Um, now that I live in Wisconsin and he lives in Alaska, we, we just take a week every year, we meet somewhere, we go and catch fish. But one thing that you'll never see since the moment that that happened, you will never see us in a boat without a net again. I never want to experience the guilt of uh, making my friend lose his uh, personal best fish. We change the way that we do things because of something that happened to us. And that's, in essence, what we're talking about today. Changing the way that we do things because of something that happens to us. We're going to be in Mark 2, 13 through 17. Now would be a really good time to turn there. Mark 2, 13 through 17. We're going to be looking at a story of Jesus calling someone to follow him. 
and radically changing the way that person was living their life. Note that all scripture that I read will be out of the New Living Translation, so it may look a little bit different than the version that's in your Bible. It may look a little bit different than the Bible that's under the seat in front of you, but I promise it really is saying the same thing. Mark 2, 13 through 17 says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. In this passage, we see Jesus called Levi the tax collector, also known as Matthew, the same way that um, Peter's also known as Simon or Simon Peter. Not uncommon for people in this time to have multiple names. So if you look at Matthew 9, you'll see the same account but it uses the name Matthew, same guy. Now, Levi was not a good guy. Or else, being a Jew, he never would have betrayed his own people to become a tax collector. Not just a tax collector, tax collector, but a tax collector for the Romans, the people who were oppressing the Jews, the people who had invaded their land, taken over, installed their own government. And it was rare to find a tax collector who was honest, who would collect only what the government needed. The way that tax collectors got rich was by skimming extra off the top. And this, along with the fact that tax collectors were working for this oppressive Roman government, meant that tax collectors had a terrible reputation. Levi had a terrible reputation. And along comes Jesus to the man who others saw as despicable, immoral, who others saw as standing for everything that was opposite of what Jesus came to do. Jesus sees this guy and he sees potential. We see Jesus do the same thing with Paul. He can take those of us from the worst of circumstances, turn us around and use us for his purpose. See, guys, we can see the call of Jesus in our own lives through his actions in Mark 2. We can see the call of Jesus on our own lives through his actions in Mark 2. The first thing we see is that Jesus' call is personal. Jesus' call is personal. In verse 14, we see Jesus call Levi to a personal relationship with him as he's sitting at the tax collector's booth. Let that sit in for a second. Why do you think he's sitting at a tax collector's booth? He's in the act of extorting Jewish people and he gets an invite from Jesus to come and follow him. Jesus wasn't just interested in investing in Levi once a week or just making sure that he catches him after the church service or making sure that he invites him to Bible study. Jesus called him to come and follow him, to spend every day with him, to live life side by side with him, to learn from him. We see Jesus do the same thing with other disciples, calling them to leave behind their lives and follow him, 
In fact, if you look at Matthew 4, 18 through 21, we see Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John in a similar way. That passage says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. In both the calling of Levi and the calling of these other four disciples, we see Jesus not just calling people to something, not just calling people to follow him, but calling them to leave other things behind. For Levi, he's being told to leave behind his sinful ways, and for us that sounds obvious, but look at it from his perspective for a second. This isn't a small thing for him. Being a tax collector had made him a lot of money. It gave him status around other people who lived like that. Probably gave him a nice house and a nice car and a maxed out 401k. This guy was going to retire early, move to Florida. And Jesus called him to leave it. In the same way, he calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John to leave their successful business. But look at the difference in those two. Because those four weren't doing anything wrong. They were earning money in an honest way. They were breaking their backs, catching fish, and they were successful at it. They owned boats, they made a good living, and when Jesus called them to leave it, they did. Jesus' call is personal. He didn't call them to leave their boats, he didn't call Levi to leave his tax collector's booth without a reason. He wanted a personal relationship with each of these people. He wanted to not just have them follow him from a distance, but to spend time with them daily, to eat with them daily and walk along the road with them daily and for them to spend time with him daily in his teaching. And he wants the same thing for each of us. He calls each of us into a personal relationship with him where we can spend time with him daily. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says, God showed how much he loved us, by sending his one and only Son into the world, so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God loves each of us personally and wants a personal relationship with each of us. He wants to spend time with us daily. He wants us to be in conversation with him daily through prayer. He wants us to hear his teaching daily through his word. He doesn't just want to see you once a week on Sunday morning. He wants a personal relationship with you. Jesus' call is personal. The second thing we see in this passage is that Jesus' call is practical. In verses 15 through 16, we see Levi invite Jesus and his disciples to a farewell meal he made to his friends. When he left to be with Jesus, he made a meal cheerfully, and thankful to God. We see the same kind of meal in 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. If you guys could turn there, we're going to spend a decent amount of time there. 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21.
that passage says, So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I've done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from his plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Oh, that's intense, right? You see, right before this passage, if you turn just, I don't know, it's maybe one page back. It's literally the passage right before this one. We see that um, the Lord is speaking to Elijah, and he names Elisha by name. This, uh, like the call of the disciples, was an unexpected, surprising call. Like the disciples in Matthew 4, Elisha wasn't in school or hanging out with prophets or reading or praying or sacrificing or doing any of the things that you would think that the kind of person who's going to be a prophet of God should be doing. No, he's out in a field doing farm work. Evidence in verse 21, he has means, he owns land, he has servants, but he didn't think of himself as above this work. When Elijah called Elisha to follow him, through throwing his own cloak across the shoulders of Elisha, this symbolism that literally I'm going to make sure that you're clothed, I'm going to make sure that you're fed, I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of if you just follow me. In the same manner as Elisha, or rather in the same manner as Levi then, Elisha prepared a feast for the townspeople, using his own oxen as a meal and his plow as a fire to cook it. What a powerful image of leaving everything behind to follow Jesus. He couldn't go back if he wanted to. His, his oxen are dead, his plows burned. He's leaving everything behind to follow the life that God had called him to. And this is the kind of feast that Levi is throwing in Mark 2. It can be easy to look at it as simply one last party before he goes off to be with Jesus, but that's not what it is. He's cheerfully giving up his resources, burning the metaphorical plow, because his old life is behind him, and now he's a follower of Jesus. And who's there but a number of tax collectors and other disreputable sinners? These people were here because they were the kind of people that Levi could get to show up. They were the kind of people that would associate with the tax collector. And I'm sure that these people were curious about Jesus. We see that before this happens... Um, if you look back in Mark 1, the beginning of Mark 2, if you look at Matthew 1 through 9, you see that Jesus does a, a whole bunch of really cool stuff. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's teaching this really radical stuff. 
And when these tax collectors and other notable sinners hear that this Jesus guy is going to be at a party that Levi's throwing, they come to check him out. Jesus' call on our lives isn't something that is lofty or involves some kind of secret knowledge. It's practical. He gives each of us in different ways for his purpose so that we can practically use our gifts to advance his kingdom. Romans 12, 4 through 9 talks about this when it says, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So, if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what's wrong. Hold tightly to what's good. One of the ways that I've seen this played out in my own life is simply through being mechanically inclined and being willing to help people out. I grew up on a farm, and we always had uh, vehicles, implements, anything that you can think of that had moving parts broke down. And because of that, I got okay at getting those things going again. And one of the things that God has used in my life again and again and again and again to give me gospel-centered conversations is being under the hood of a car with somebody or working on hydraulic lines on a tractor or hammering on a disc, doing all of that stuff with guys that don't know him. Jesus' call on your life doesn't mean that you need to go to the other side of the world to be a missionary to start telling people about him. If he's called you to go to the other side of the world to be a missionary, do it. I know that for a lot of us, though, he's called us to this community with specific gifts that he's given each of us, specific practical gifts that we have that we can advance the gospel here. Look at what Levi does here to introduce people to Jesus. He has a house. He has friends that don't know Jesus. He invites his friends that don't know Jesus to a dinner that he's having with Jesus. That seems pretty practical to me. So the question then is, what things do you have? What talents, abilities, friendships, things has God given you that you can use to impact the world for his glory? What kind of things do you have? Levi had a house and friends that didn't know Jesus. How can you use what God has given you to impact the world for his kingdom? Jesus' call is personal and Jesus' call is practical. And the third thing that we see is that Jesus' call has a purpose. Jesus' call has purpose. Jesus' call to Levi wasn't simply a call to follow him, but a call to leave behind his sinful ways. When Jesus is at this event with the tax collectors and the other sinners, some of the Pharisees are offended 
and ask the disciples why Jesus is doing it. These were not the kind of people that your mom wants you hanging out with. These people were notorious for their sin. They had bad reputations. So it wasn't good for Jesus' reputation to be around them. Pharisees are confused, a little bit offended, want to catch Jesus looking bad. And if you look at Galatians 2, 11 through 13, we see Peter do the same thing and get confronted by Paul. Notice what it says here. It says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the, the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the, who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. The Pharisees thought that they were better than these sinners, so much so that they didn't want to associate with them. But I think a lot of times we can see the, we can see the Pharisees and we can go, well, I'm not like that. <laughs> I'm not that bad. But I think a lot of us can identify with, with Peter. Um, Peter, the, the same Peter who in Matthew 16, Jesus says that he's going to build his church on him. Same Peter. Right here. This isn't a trap that just uh, the uh, uber-religiously staunch Pharisees uh, fell into. In the book of Galatians, we see Peter do the same thing in an attempt to avoid judgment from some of James's friends. does the exact same thing and needs Paul to correct him. Jesus' call has purpose, and part of that purpose is to bring people to him. Pharisees in Mark 2 were offended. They thought that Christ's character should separate him from these sinners. And that's when he hits them with the bombshell. This is my favorite verse out of the entire passage. Verse 17, Mark 2.17 says, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. The Pharisees thought that they were above these sinners, and because of that, they wondered why on earth Jesus would hang out with them. They thought his character should separate him from them. But this is the exact opposite of Jesus' purpose. If the world was already righteous, there would be no reason for Jesus to come. There would be no reason for him to preach repentance and purchase redemption, as one of the commentaries that I read this week said. He came to a sinful world, and in that, spent time with the people who others viewed as the worst among sinners, those who others viewed as less than. Jesus sits with the people who were despised, rejected, seemingly spiritually hopeless, because it's exactly what he came to do, and we see life change happen because of it. In Mark 2.15, notice what it says in the parentheses there. So Mark 2.15, it's talking about how... All of these people are getting invited to, to this dinner party and it's Jesus and his disciples and it's the tax collectors and it's the other notorious sinners. And then in the parentheses there, it goes on to say, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. 
these are the people that Jesus is coming for. And these are the people that are following him. And as Levi uses what he has, his house, his friendships, his ability to put some food on a table, to bring his friends together with Jesus, they get to see their Savior face to face. Not looking down at them, but spending time with them when they're at their lowest. Not once they've put themselves together, but when they're still sinning. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. What if we didn't wait till we have it all together to turn towards Jesus, but turn towards him while we're figuring things out? while we're still at the tax collector's booth, while we're, we're still a mess? What if we came to Jesus and we said, Jesus, here's my mess. Will you take it and change it? Will you mold me into who you want me to be? As one author put it, um, it's an old, a guy who's been dead since like 1807, a guy named Matthew Henry. He said, With God through Christ, there is mercy to pardon the greatest sins and grace to sanctify the greatest sinners. Great sin and scandal before conversion are no bar to great gifts, graces, and advancements. After, nay, God may be the more glorified. Let me read that one more time a little bit slower because I'm excited about it. It says, With God through Christ, there is mercy to pardon the greatest sins, and grace to sanctify the greatest sinners. Great sin and scandal before conversion are no bar to great gifts, graces, and advancements. After, nay, God may be the more glorified. My wife and I have a dog named Daisy. She's a little over a year old. She's a Brittany Spaniel. Um, She's bred to be a hunting dog, It's in her bloodline. She's a pointer. She has a lot of natural talent when it comes to hunting. And she is the first dog that I have attempted to train. A couple of months ago, I took her out on her very first real pheasant hunt. I thought I had done everything right to get her prepared for this hunt. I had used one of those dummy launchers that it makes a loud noise and it throws her toy I had spent time training her with the pheasant wing and pheasant scent. I had shot my shotgun next to her and threw the toy. I had done everything I knew how to do. Everything that YouTube had showed me how to do to get a dog ready to hunt. (laughs) Did all of that and got ready to go. Um, Over Thanksgiving, we were in Minnesota with Bella's family. And one day, her, her dad and I, we went out hunting. It was uh, me and my dog that had no idea what she was doing, and then he has two really, really well-trained hunting dogs. Loaded her into the bed of the pickup with these dogs, went out into the field, excited and nervous about how she was going to be as a bird dog. And we, we get out in the field, and we're walking, and you know, my father-in-law's two dogs are hunting, and my dog's just kind of bumbling around. And wouldn't you know it, the first dog on a bird 
is my little has no idea what she's doing pup. And she, she's up and she's on point on a bird. And so I walk up in front of her and I kick the bird up. And my eyes are up because there's a bird flying. And I shoot, watch the bird fall, see my father-in-law's dogs take off after the bird, look down, and my dog is gone. She had bolted. She ran and hid. It took us almost 45 minutes to find her. I was calling for her. I was beeping her caller. And as time went on, I was getting more and more desperate. And I'm, I'm yelling for her, and I'm praying, and I'm beeping, and just could not find her. And finally, we're, we're standing around, and I'm, I'm pacing back and forth, beeping, beeping her caller to try and get her to come back. And finally, I, I hear her caller. And I, I beep again, and that's definitely what it is. I'm not imagining it this time, because I had imagined it a couple of times in that 45 minutes. And I turn, and I, I follow the sound, and I find her huddled in the thickest brush off the edge of the field. She got scared, whether it was the shot, the bird flying up, the adrenaline of working with the other dogs, whatever it was, she got scared and took off in the other direction. And when I came calling, she was nowhere to be found. Now, one thing that I'm proud of with this dog is she's a pretty all right around the house dog. Um, she's not the best hunting dog in the world, but she's pretty all right at around the house. And every other time that I've came calling for her, She's came back. But something happened here. She got scared and took off in the other direction, and when I came calling, she was nowhere to be found. And I fear that sometimes we treat our relationship with the Lord like that. The Lord is calling each of us not just into a surface-level relationship with Him, but a deep, personal, practical relationship for the purpose of knowing Him and making Him known. And there are a hundred things that can pull us off course. When our friends don't know Jesus and talking to them about him just seems scary. When we're having trouble with our family, when something tragic happens and you're mad at God. There are a hundred things. There are a whole bunch of reasons we can have for ignoring God's call on our life. There are a whole bunch of excuses we can make for running off and hiding in the brush avoiding when he's calling us. Levi, of all people, would have had the best excuse for not following Jesus. He had all of the money. He had all of the power. Following Jesus meant leaving all that behind. Following Jesus meant hanging out with a bunch of people who knew him as a tax collector and probably had preconceived notions about him that he had to work through. But when Jesus called, the Levi put his faith in him. Would you do the same thing this week? Whether it's a, a general call, a call into a relationship with Jesus. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've come to church a whole bunch and done the religion thing, but never started a personal relationship with Jesus, would today be the day that you do that? Would you come and talk to me or Pastor Pete or Pastor Tim? We would love to talk to you more about what a personal relationship with Jesus looks like. Or if there's something more specific, if there's a practical way that you can advance God's kingdom in your life, if you feel that tug, 
the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart to take a step in obedience, would you do that with him? And watch as he uses you to do awesome things. You guys pray with me. Lord, we love you. God, we praise you that you use people like us, that you use people like Levi the tax collector to do your work. God, would you work in us? Would you work through us? Would you make yourself known in our community? Holy Spirit, would you tug on our hearts in practical, about practical ways that we can advance your kingdom? God, we want to know you more. We want to make you known. Would you do that this week? In your name, amen.